Good morning, Living Hope. Good to be together and good to remember his birth, as we're going to remember a little bit later, his death and resurrection for us. That is why he came, and we will get to that uh, later on in our time together this morning. All that one little boy wanted for Christmas was a watch, was a watch. And so for weeks, he bugged his parents about getting a watch for Christmas. And every conversation turned to the boy, mentioning the watch that he wanted for Christmas. Finally, his dad told him, son, I know you want a watch. Quit bugging us. I don't want you to mention that watch again. Don't mention it. But dad, the boy insisted, no, 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 sorry. Son, I don't want to hear it again. One night at dinner, it was the boy's turn to pray for the meal. He said, I'd like to share a Bible verse before I pray. The dad agreed, and the little boy continued. He said, it's found in Mark chapter 13, verse 37. He read, I say unto you what I've already told you before, watch, watch. (laughs) The boy wasn't going to quit. Now, if asked what it is you want for Christmas more than anything else, what would be your answer? All I want for Christmas is... There's a music teacher in 1944 that asked his class to answer that very question. What is the one thing you want for Christmas? And one little girl lamenting the loss of her two front teeth led the music teacher to write and compose that very familiar song, right? Everybody stops and stares at me. These two teeth are gone, as you can see. I don't know just who to blame for this catastrophe. But my one wish on Christmas Eve is as plain as it can be. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. See, my two front teeth. Well, at Christmas, most people are wishing for something a little more than their two front teeth. Many of us are longing for something that we feel we don't have. And secretly, we think, if I could only have this, then I would be happy. And some of us are on search for something elusive. It's just out of reach. There was a doctor who carried out an interesting survey for a few years back now involving his patients. And as the patients sat in the waiting room, they were asked to fill out this little survey. The questions probed concerns that were on their minds. And one of the questions asked was, what is your number one wish? What is your number one wish? And do you know what was one of the top responses? The number one wish of 67% of his patients was to have a peace of mind. A peace of mind. Peace missing in your life today? Is peace even attainable in this life? Well, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14, the Gospel of John. Go with me to chapter 14, whether it's in your Bibles, your phone, whatever it is you use, I encourage you to follow along. In your Bibles to John chapter 14, I'm going to direct your attention to a single verse, verse uh, verse 27, excuse me, verse 27. It's one verse jam-packed with plenty to say about this matter of peace. 
And we're going to look at other scriptures as well this morning. But the primary verse for our time together will be John chapter 14, verse 27. So follow along with me by looking at John 14, 27. Jesus is speaking here. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Now, there are three questions that I want to address this morning. Three questions. Question number one is, what is with this peace? Question number two is, can peace be found in what the world offers? And then thirdly, how do we get this peace Jesus speaks about? All right, what is with this peace? You might recall at the time of Jesus' birth, the angels outside Bethlehem appeared to some lowly shepherds. And you can find the angels' words in Luke chapter 2. I encourage you to go to Luke chapter 2, and you can turn there, follow along here. Keep your place there in John 14. But in Luke chapter 2, very familiar passage around this time of year, an angel appears to the shepherds, announcing that in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, the angel says. He is Christ the Lord. And then other angels join this one angel. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 13, they say, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now picture yourself as one of the shepherds standing there when the angels say, Hey! peace on earth. And you're thinking, angels, with all due respect, have you spent too much time in the clouds playing your harp? I don't know what world you live in, but down here, there is no peace. Peace on earth? Did Jesus come, uh, didn't Jesus come bringing peace on earth? What's with this? Well, as the angels were announcing, this peace on earth idea. Herod was the governor, and Herod, uh, angry, paranoid king, uh, had no reservation about killing younger boys for fear that they may be rivals to his throne. Far from peaceful. These angels are announcing peace in a very oppressive time. The Roman Empire was characterized by violence. You heard some of that read earlier. The only way they maintained any sense of peace was through the use of the sword. Peace on earth. World history shows that there's never really been an extended period of time of peace. I don't know about you, but I can't visualize world peace as the bumper sticker says. In an article in the New York Times, written a few back, years back, uh, quotes Will Durant, who was the famous historian. It said in this article that in over roughly 3,500 years of recorded history, the world has only been at peace about 8% of the time. In other words, guessing like 3,500 and 30 years of recorded history, the world has been at peace for 286 years. That's it. How many peace treaties were, were, were broken in that time? All of them. Someone put it this way. Peace is that brief moment in history where everyone stands around reloading. Huh. They're just preparing for the next conflict. 
The angels promised peace on earth. Did they get it wrong? For their day wasn't peaceful. The time after Christ wasn't peaceful. And still today, it is anything but peaceful in this world. A group of researchers measure the level of um, peacefulness, and they come up with what they call the Global Peace Index. The Global Peace Index. And they concluded that the world has become less peaceful for 13th time in the last 15 years. Their statement on the website says this, the world is less peaceful today than at any time in the last decade. You're probably not surprised by that. All we are saying is give peace a chance. <laughs> is that possible? Peace on earth? Does peace describe our time? What's with this peace? All right, second question this morning is, can peace be found in what the world offers? Can peace be found in what the world offers? Now, back to John chapter 14 again, and Jesus' words, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, in context, the first ones to hear these words from Jesus' lips were the disciples, of course. And these words here are part of a larger conversation that Jesus is having in private with his disciples in the upper room. And it began with the Passover meal, which John records for us in, in chapter 13. And at that meal, you recall, Jesus lets them in on his impending death that was going to be launched with a betrayal of one of the 12 disciples. He informed his disciples that he was going away and that they would not be joining him. Jesus announces it to them his exit. He's leaving them. They thought he was going to establish an earthly kingdom. All of their hopes during the meal came crashing down. He's leaving them. As John chapter 14 verse 1 informs us, the disciples had troubled hearts. Who could blame them? Being troubled in light of these circumstances would be the expected response. Well, it's in that setting then that Jesus spoke these words, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And the disciples really needed to hear this. They had to be, they had to be freaking out. They needed peace. What kind of peace? What kind of peace can address a troubled heart? Well, how does the world give peace? Well, the world tries to take away our troubles through health insurance or retirement plans or labor-saving devices or the right policies or home alarm systems. And those things indeed can give us some peace of mind. I'm not, not discouraging that. You can find outside of God some peace, can't we? Yes, but, but, but it's very circumstantial based. We might think of peace, oh, that's just the absence of conflict. As long as I don't have conflict, I have peace. Or maybe you think of peace as it's that which denies reality. I just kind of put my head in, in the sand and just pretend these things don't exist. Or, or you simply kind of avoid trouble. That's where you'll find peace. The world offers plenty of options there. Can peace be found through some escape? If I can just escape from this, I'll have peace. 
One person joked, I was told the best way to achieve peace is to finish all the things you've started. So I looked around the house to see all the things I started and hadn't finished. So that evening, I finished off a bottle of red wine, a bottle of white wine, some Prozac, some Valium, some cheesecake, and some chocolates. <laughs> he says, you have no idea how good I feel. <laughs> well, for the moment, I mean, that is a road to peace, but imagine when it all comes crashing down, or worse, uh, when it all is worn off in the morning. See, the world may offer a moment of a peaceful, easy feeling. Perhaps we say, well, you know what, it can't be in those things, but, but if I can just find the right person in my life, I will then have peace in my life. I'll be complete. Well, as we hear playing continually in stores, I don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own more than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is you. Ah. Mariah Carey in this popular love song claims that she doesn't care about Christmas presents or lights, but the best Christmas present she can have is to be with the one she loves. All I want for Christmas is you. That, that will fill me. Someone observed, whether they're right or not, I don't know, but it was an article on this, that the you in her song was a fantasy and really a means of escapism from her unhappy marriage. Maybe. But you see, the truth is, church, we, we, can't, we can't find that peace in, in, in some person. Truth is, looking for peace, it can't be sustained by circumstances. It can't be sustained by a good economy or the right person in the in office or having a certain cushion in your savings account or having the right protection. So the answer is not even found in, in some social cause. Bob Geldof was a British rock musician uh, with the band The Boomtown Rats. He decided, and, and some of you lived through these years, you remember, uh, he decided to do something about the famine in Ethiopia during the uh, early 1980s. And he put his own career on the, on the back burner and spent an entire year of his life organizing fundraising events for dozens of famine relief organizations. He was the inspiration behind the song, We Are the World, and the live aid event. His efforts helped raise millions of dollars toward famine relief. Later, Geldof wrote a book called, Is That It? Is that it? In the book, he retells his many achievements, including the raising of money. And at the end of it all, all he could, could ask is, is, is that it? Geldof recognized that even through his accomplishments, they were significant. He couldn't escape a feeling of unfulfillment. For more than a year, the famine in Ethiopia had been his reason for living. And after all he accomplished, he realized hardly a dent had been made in the problem of world hunger and his efforts hadn't brought him peace of mind. Now the point isn't at all to disregard the needy or dismiss all social efforts. That's not the point. The point is, not even good human, humanitarian performance fills up the soul. If Jesus is in the center of your reason for living, you will not find lasting peace. Jesus speaks of a peace that's different than what the world gives. 
Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. And you go, well, that all sounds nice. Yeah, this peace, that's great. We can talk about it. We can write songs about it. We can people march for this peace. Some bumper sticker tells us to visualize it. But where is this peace to be found? How can we get this peace? Third question, perhaps it is really the most significant question of all. Because we know in and of ourselves that anxiety levels are at an all-time high. Guilty. All we want is the ability to rest and to not have to worry and to feel free to enjoy life and family and friends and church and hobbies and on it goes. We just want some peace. I read of a four-year-old and a six-year-old presented their mom with a beautiful bouquet of flowers for Christmas. They'd used their own money to buy her this very special gift, and the mom was thrilled with the flowers. Then she noticed a card that was attached to the flowers, and the card said, rest in peace, (laughs) rest in peace. The older child spoke up and said, well, we thought this was the perfect gift for you, mom, because you're always asking for a little peace so you can rest, (laughs) well-intentioned. But I ask, must we wait until we pass from this life to really find peace. Can peace be found in this life? Now again, I remind you of the context of Jesus' words here. The disciples are at a height of emotion. They're trying to process all that Jesus is saying about going away, and they could not go with him. In the midst of that, Jesus comes and he says, Peace, I leave with you. Now peace is the Greek word, Irene, where we get the feminine name, uh, Irene. Irene means peaceful one or peace. You're blessed with that name. That's what that means. Peace is defined as an internal state of tranquility. It's when you're you're quiet and you have a restful mind. It became a very common greeting in that day, right? Peace to you, peace to you. And not only in the Greeks, before the Greeks, it goes back to the Hebrews, right? Jews often greeted each other, shalom, shalom. Shalom, peace to you. It's to extend peace to somebody else, to wish you well. Shalom, peace. Now, when Jesus says peace here, is it simply a greeting? Is Jesus uh, just a simple wish here for his followers? No, no, no. I think it goes beyond that. Because what, what is Jesus saying by these words? There's two qualities worth mentioning here of Jesus' peace. Two qualities. First of all, this peace is a gift. It is a gift. He says, my peace, I what? Give you. I give you. Jesus says, I give it to you. It's a gift. You don't work your feelings up to find this peace. Jesus says, I give it to you. Now, folks, that is a monumental promise. It's a gift. Secondly, what does it tell us? Well, this peace is the peace Jesus had, and he shares it with us. It's the peace that Jesus had, and he shares it with us. It is what? My peace that I give you, Jesus. My peace. Now think about, think about the peace Jesus had while walking this earth. I mean, you read through the Gospels, and do you ever get a sense that Jesus was stressed out? He was coming unglued. He's unable to relax. 
Consider the time the disciples were out on the boat, right? And this big storm came up and it was raging. And the disciples, they feared for their lives. What was Jesus doing? Pacing down on the bottom of the boat? No, he was peacefully sleeping. Then his words to calm the storm were, peace be still. And the storm immediately was stilled. Another incident, uh, more than 5,000 people came to hear him speak, and it was lunchtime, and they were hungry. And do you get from Jesus, says, I'm in a sense of panic, how am I going to feed all these people? No, he knew the Father would provide enough food to feed all the people. He was at peace. And although Jesus spoke of his own heart being troubled by the impending death by crucifixion in John uh, chapter 12, verse 27, he was totally at peace around it because his confidence is that he was doing his Father's will and it calmed his troubling heart. Remember when Jesus stood before Pilate sentenced to be crucified and Pilate flexed his muscles and said, don't you realize I have the power to free you or to crucify you? John 9, 11, Jesus said this, you have no power over me if it weren't given to you from above. Wow, what peace. Jesus' heart was troubled with the thought of crucifixion. Look what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was fully aware of the distressing uh, suffering confronting him, yet he was at peace. He had total confidence in the purpose and power of God the Father. The peace Jesus gives you is the peace that he had and he shares it with you. That blows me away. This is the peace he wants to give you. My peace, Jesus said. He owns it it governed his life. He's the manufacturer of this peace. The peace Jesus had, he gives to us. And the effect of Jesus then, what he should have on our lives, is peace. How, how's that working for you? Not only so good for me. Now here's the thing. Nothing or nobody, nothing and nobody can take that peace from you. No one. And so if you're in between jobs right now and you're not sure how you're going to make it, my peace I give you, Jesus says. If you're a student and your workload seems too much right now, he's, he comes to you and he says, my peace I give you. If you're a parent and you're trying to juggle all the demands on your, on your life right now, Jesus comes to you and he says, my peace I give you in the midst of it. I promise you that. Perhaps it's not outside for you. Perhaps it's inside. Inside, uh, you're in turmoil. You have racing thoughts and, and there's confusion, there's indecision and there's frustration, there's feelings of guilt and feeling of shame. Jesus comes to you and he says, my peace I give you. Inner peace, it's yours. Wow. Peace is the promise. But it's followed by a command. In that verse, in John 14, 27, Jesus first says, my peace, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Now, here's the command. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And the sense here is, 
in the original language is that they were troubled and they were afraid. And, and, and the idea is stop that action of being afraid and being troubled. You're already doing it. And Jesus says, stop. Don't do that. You're all stressed out. Your inner being is, is filled with all kinds of turmoil. You're not acting peaceful at all. Jesus says to you, stop doing that. Stop being overwhelmed, Brian, by what's going on. But, Pastor, the world has gone crazy. Stop freaking out. No, no, you don't understand. The person I work for, he's such a jerk. Stop freaking out. Right, you don't understand what my ex is doing to me. Stop freaking out out. Do not let your hearts be troubled. What's troubling you right now? What is this causing you fear? Don't let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. And that's on us to take care of that. The peace Christ wants to give you is greater than whatever it is that's troubling you right now. It is a peace far better than the peace of escape that the world might offer or peace of denying reality or, or that peace you think having a certain person in your life is going to bring. Or that whatever it is you really want to have underneath that Christmas tree, that's it, I just have that. I'll be all set. I mean, most of us, we do almost anything for a little peace. Now, I need to make a distinction at this point between peace with God and a peace of God. Peace with God and a peace of God. One is objective, peace with God, and the other we might say subjective, peace of God. We need to make a distinction here. So we begin with peace with God. I ask you, do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Missionary Don Richardson, who served for many years among the primitive tribes in Papua New Guinea, wrote a book entitled The Peace Child. He struggled to communicate uh, with them about the gospel. He was kind of unable to find a picture to capture what Jesus did for them. And he tells, tells a story in, in, in this book of two tribes in Papua New Guinea who maintained this blood feud between themselves for several generations. Each generation fought and nursed their wounds only to fight again, killing and maiming more and more people. After years of struggle, the two tribes realized that they must stop fighting or nothing would be left of their tribes, of their people. But what could they do to end years of warring between the two tribes? Well, Don Richardson goes on to tell them that the chiefs of the two tribes, they came together and they brought with them a child they called the peace child. This child was the son of one of the chiefs, which was adopted into the family of the opposing chief. And as long as that child lived, the two chiefs promised to cease their fighting so that all could live. And Don Richardson went, that's it. I found a perfect picture of God's love for us and sending his son, the Prince of Peace, to die for us. That God makes peace through his peace child, the Lord Jesus Christ. And our sin before a holy God is now forgiven. We who were once enmity with God can have peace with God because of the peace child, Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 says that. 
Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I take you back just a moment here to the the angel's announcement of Jesus' birth to the shepherds. The angels cried out there, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now, actually, that is a very unfortunate translation. Our Christmas carols have run with it and our Christmas cards. But it literally says this. First part's correct. Glory to God in the highest. But now get this. And on earth, peace to men and women on whom God's favor rests. Or we could say it this way. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those that God is well pleased with. Not peace on earth. Peace on those who received the gift of eternal life. They have the peace. That's who on God's favor rests. He offers it to all people, but only those who receive Christ as Savior is on whom God's favor rests. Only those who accept this Jesus as the peace child, as as their Savior for their sins, will then have peace with God. See, the most basic need we have is peace with God. And if you don't have that peace with God, I'd love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you. Because you have to go there first. If you don't find peace with God, then all other experiences of peace will be temporary at best. They'll only be superficial. Do you have peace with God? All right, that's one. Now this peace of God, which is really what I think he's talking about here. Peace of God. More subjective. The peace of God is that feeling of well-being, of tranquility, to live with a, a calming confidence that all is well, that Jesus has it, whatever it is that may be troubling you at this very moment. This is the peace Jesus wants you to have. He looks your way and he says, you look troubled. I don't want you to look that way. Here's my peace. I want you to have it. How do we get it? How do we experience this peace on a daily basis? Now listen, if we already have peace with God, then that is settled. Peace of God? We need to invite God into our situation. We need to let him rule in our life. For where Jesus is, peace reigns. For where Jesus is, peace reigns. That's the takeaway for this morning, if I could just boil it down to one thing. For where Jesus is, peace reigns. That if we want peace to rule in our lives, then Christ must rule in our lives. And at any point, Jesus is not invited in to rule over some situation in your life. You will not experience peace, not his peace. Do you need his peace today? In what area of your life are you not experiencing his peace? You could then ask, Is Jesus ruling over that? Now, there are going to be many assaults to your peace. There will be many things that will threaten your peace. Guilt and worries and uncertainties and and anxieties and self-condemnation and shame and failures and feeling you don't measure up or pressures of life, the stuff in life that just doesn't make sense. All kinds of assaults on you all the time and on me. How can we experience peace in the midst of these assaults? Here it is. 
Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. It's one many of you probably even committed to memory. I'm sure many, most in this room know the, these verses. Philippians four, six and seven. It speaks to this. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Anxiety robs you of peace, does it not? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Well, how do we make our requests known to God? How do we do that? We turn all our anxieties over to God when that anxiety comes in. We say, this is yours, Lord. I'm carrying it to you. Then what happens? What's the result? The verse says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard, will protect your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God promises to give you peace. It's there for our taking and enjoying. It's offered to all. We have to take it. We have to trust him with whatever it is that wants to strip us of that peace. It's the cry of your heart today. All I want for Christmas, just some peace. Real peace, inner peace. Bishop um, Goodrich tells a story of a woman who had reached the end of her rope. Her husband was ill and lost his job. There were financial reverses that caused him to even lose their home. There were five children to feed and clothe. She tried to find employment to help make ends meet, but the situation continued to deteriorate. She became so desperate. I can't even imagine this, but I haven't been in that situation either. She became so desperate that one day, having lost all hope, she took her five-year-old daughter into the bedroom. She carefully chinked all the windows with rags and newspapers. Then she turned on the gas heater without lighting it. She put her arm around her little daughter as they laid together across the bed. She could hear the gas escaping. But then she heard another noise from the other room. She'd forgotten to turn off the radio. And someone was singing. It was an old hymn. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. The woman realized her tragic mistake. She got up, she turned off the gas, she opened the windows, and she said, then I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I thanked God for my life, I thanked God for my five children, and I made a promise that I would never forget my faith again. His peace that he gives is that personal. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain I bear. All because I do not carry everything to God in prayer. What is it for you that you need to carry to God in prayer? You need to turn it over to him. Yeah, I've already done that. You need to do it again. You might have to do it again tomorrow morning. Or an hour from now. What area of your life have you not given him to rule? For where Jesus is, peace reigns. Let's pray. God, as we now set our minds and hearts around communion together, I pray, God, that you would help us to remember what it's all about and your sacrifice and, and what you paid in order to get us that peace. 
There's nothing light. There's nothing easy. There's nothing we could earn. Nothing we even deserve. But we thank you for Jesus Christ who gave up his life for us that we can now have peace with you. Relationship with you. That's what we remember as we come around the table this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.